Welcome to the 35th Fireside Chat. We welcome our group from Vancouver. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Vanessa, for organizing it. Hello. Um, I'm going to start today with a question from Christian. And he's had a unique experience. This is a, a fascinating question uh, to do with consciousness to consciousness communication. I have a question regarding consciousness to consciousness communication. I've been practicing from time to time that type of direct communication, also in parallel the normal communications. Four months ago, I had a singular and very unusual experience when doing this. And Tom, maybe you can help me to understand what was going on here. Whatever it was, it was definitely very useful. Now, Tom, you've had exercises for people at your workshops with consciousness to consciousness communication, practicing that. So this has proved to be useful for Christian. And he goes on. The experience, it's a little bit long, but it's really worth reading because I think this might be useful to some. The experience he had, I had a conversation with a female friend who is on a similar path like me, and we've known each other for 25 years. We have been talking about a day-to-day topic. Can't even remember what it was. In parallel, I had the strong intent to get in touch with her somewhere in the non-physical and to have a conversation there with her. Suddenly, my awareness was completely outside, somewhere, though some awareness was still left here because the chat in the physical was proceeding normally. The encounter in the non-physical with her was very intense. There was absolutely no doubt that it was she, but she looked quite different. Well, I should say I perceived her differently. There was so much more compared to what I know from her in the physical, so much more of the aspects of her personality traits, so much richer, So much broader, more comprehensive, bigger, more vivid. We had quite an intense interaction. I have no idea where we were, and it was not important for me. It hit me like a hammer when I experienced her in this sparkling, moving, changing, transforming shape. I've never seen her like this. So rich, so wise, so experienced, so mature. I was stunned by the beauty of this being. It appeared to me... What I know from her on earth is only a subset of her small portion of, uh, it was only a small portion of herself, only a subset of her, a small portion. I don't know how long it lasted, probably a few minutes. When I came back fully aware in the day-to-day conversation, I had to tell her what happened, but she was completely unaware of the encounter. I got this experience, but I didn't know how to decode it. I can recall it any time experience and understand it, but not on a mental level. It's more an information packet. I can decode only bits and pieces. It took me about three months to digest it, at least partly. It changed completely my view of her. I can see now the bigger picture of her and how she is. I can see now with completely different eyes, and for this reason alone, this experience was very useful. Also, I perceived myself differently, like another me, but I had not much focus on this. I never had this experience again. I'm still wondering how these different levels of personalities fit together and what their relation is. Also, it was strange to be here and there at the same time, more or less having two conversations at the same time. 
Tom, can you comment on this experience? Especially, I'm a bit confused that obviously the same entity, and I'm pretty sure that the idea was the same, the ID was the same, can appear so differently as I described before. Okay, sure. Um, <clears throat> I guess first we might uh, start with uh, why did this happen? And then we'll go from why did this happen to perhaps what happened and, and uh, you know, what to make of all of it. Uh, the reason that it happened is that you were making an effort, had an intention to communicate um, not just in the verbal uh, physical sense, but in a greater sense than that. That's something you'd been working on. Uh, ideas that you had, and it was your intent to experience that, to do it. And the larger consciousness system decided to give you that experience, just decided to let you see what that was like in this particular way. So while you were chatting with this lady, it also connected you to her in another way at the same time. And you began to see her as a multi-dimensional being, which we all are. But you began to see her this way uh, for the first time. And as you describe it, it's very clear to me because I see people like that all the time. And that is you, you could see her through her multi-dimensions, not just her physical self, but who she is um, beyond her physical self all the dimensions of her, the feeling. And not only that, but it had a, a depth and breadth to it that wasn't just now. It was in the past. It was in the future. It was a bigger picture, okay, from a bigger viewpoint. And with that energy, you could connect with it. And when you connect with it, you actually become a part of it. You integrate with it. And um, you didn't say that in your description, but if you kind of go into that energy in order to uh, you know, be with it, you find yourself integrating with it entirely. So now it's your multidimensional self integrating with her multidimensional self. And that is an experience that's really hard to describe because you're so interconnected to this being at a very fundamental being level. Uh, and it's not anything at all like interacting with people you know, through your intellect or through your emotions here. So that seems, from your description, what was, what was happening. So you got that experience just to let you know what people are really like and the depth to which you can connect to them. Because I'm sure you felt this connection was deeper and more meaningful and more significant and more totally integrated than any other connection you've ever had with anybody else at any other time. It's really a marvelous thing. At least that's the way, you know, I experience it. And sounds like that's the way you experience it as well. So it was just an experience for you. So that's the why you had it, because you had an intent to experience communicating non-physically. And you got the whole thing. You could have gotten something less than that, but you, you got the whole tour. And... Um, what you do with it is just what you have done with it. Realize that that's what our reality is like. That's what she is like, and you're like that too, and so is everybody else. That's the way we are. We're multidimensional beings. We have so much more to us than just these avatars. 
And that is probably the bigger lesson. We're all like that. And when we see ourselves like that, as opposed to an avatar body, it kind of changes the way we look at everybody and ourselves. And I think that was the whole picture. So this was a big uh, learning opportunity. And it sounds like you did just the right thing. You, uh, you went to it. You involved yourself with it. You didn't just watch it, but you interacted with it. And you experienced it. And it's interesting, of course, that when you asked her about it and you said, well, here's what I just did, she had no recollection of it. So you see, even though you were interacting with her on a very deep level, that doesn't mean that her intellect was engaged with it. You were interacting with her whole being, not with her intellect. So her intellect was still having a chat with you, and you were still having a chat with her. And that's an experience for you in, in uh, parallel processing. And parallel processing, as you notice, this is not all that hard. You just, there's part of you doing one thing, and there's another part of you doing another thing, and that's the way parallel processing is. So you got a lot of, of uh, kind of experience of what it's like to, to be a multidimensional person, because you had to be a multidimensional person to interact with her multidimensional uh, self, and what it's like to parallel process. And all of this was given to you just to help you get it, understand it, instead of from an intellectual viewpoint, but from a being level viewpoint. Because now you have this experience at the being level. And it's not at all like you read it in a book and it's intellectual. You experienced it and now you know and it becomes a part of your reality. Um, so it's not so much that you need to duplicate it, but it is that you should be aware of it, and you can actually do this whenever you wish. You can connect with people like that, um, and you can do it kind of quickly and easily. Well, you saw how easy this was. Basically, you had an intent, and there it was. Well, you can kind of get that under control, but don't try too hard. If you try too hard to reproduce it, then the trying too hard will get in the way, and you won't reproduce it. You have to have that same gentle being level intent that you had this time, and it'll work just like it did this time. But if your intellect gets in charge and wants to do it and reproduce it, then it probably won't work. So that's probably what you should do next. Now that you're aware of it, it'll be easier for you to see people that way and to feel yourself that way and to have a bigger sense of who and what you are and what others are. and just. It'll take, you said you've been working on it three months. Well, it may take another three months to, you know, integrate that whole experience. It's a wonderful experience. You were lucky to uh, be given that experience. That's terrific. But it's not all luck. You earned it too. And uh, you were ready for it or you wouldn't have gotten it. So that's, uh, that's the way it works. When you're ready, it comes. You know, the lessons come. So you were ready, you were open, and that's why you got it. That's why the system would give it to you. It's, it's part of your growing up. So just take it all in, get it at the being level. You don't have to do anything specifically with it, but you'll probably never be the same person. All right, thank you, Tom. Uh, our new member, Janice, has a question for you next. Okay, yes. So first of all, hello to everybody. Uh, especially, it's very yeah, nice to meet you, 
Tom, Donna, Oliver. Uh, do you hear me good? Is it okay? Yes, I hear you fine. Okay, so yeah, I will try to yeah explain uh, how good I can this question. So um, I have a like big problem. I don't know it's ego or fear, but how to deal with our reality rule set created by LCS combined with um, how to say government rule set on us on which I can't agree after ha have collected enough data for myself. It's for example, after my girlfriend had like, breast cancer when she was 25 and had her breast removed, uh, I started to read some books like China Study and um, similar ones have seen TED Talks and started to like you say, collect data. And I do, well, daily exercises, I am vegan, almost raw vegan, I do yoga and everything like this, like, like, well, basically like healthy stuff. Like we understand, just, uh, I had some difficulties with that with my parents and everything. And I'm dealing with that, I, I think, well, pretty okay now. But um, there still are things that it's like it's very, very hard for me to overstep. I don't know it's fear or ego, but for example, if a government says your kid needs to do shots, if not, he cannot go to school. But I believe that in my like, I don't know, system or after collected data, I can't agree on these things. And uh, I don't know if my kid goes to some soccer camp and everything and they need to, they will eat meat at lunches and everything. Well, there's so many, many things that I just, it's very, very hard for me to deal with. I just can't understand where's my fear on, and ego on these things, even after that. I, I'm very, like, 100, almost 100% sure that, well, you can never be 100% sure, I understand, but it's it's just, it's very frustrating. I can't, I think I'm stuck there. I don't know how to deal with like, like outer world. I don't know how to say even, do you understand maybe my issue here? Yeah, I think I've got your issue. And it's an issue that's very, very common. A lot of people find themselves in a similar situation where they, they just don't have control over what is going on. You have to give, like you mentioned, you know, you have to give your uh, child vaccinations or they won't, can't go to school. And there's a law that says they must go to school. So it's not like you really have a choice. If you don't put them in school, then, you know, you're in violation of the law. And if you do put them in school, you will give, you have to give them vaccinations. Or perhaps you could uh, put them in some sort of a private school or some other situation uh, to avoid that. But you can't avoid all these things. Um, life is what it is. We have to have the, how does that old saying goes? You have to um, you know, know what it is you can change, what it is you can't change, and change the things you can accept the things you can't and you know have the wisdom to know the difference between the things you can change and the things you can't there's a saying of that of that effect and that's very true you have to live in this reality 
You're a part of it. And part of our thing here is to deal with it. And when you have to deal with it, it doesn't mean that you will always be able to get it the way you want it. Some of that dealing with it is accepting that that is just the way it is. And you're in this society, you're a part of it, and it is what it is. And you have to deal with it in some way that's positive. Some ways you just have to let it go and say, okay, um, you know, I, have, I, I don't have many choices here. What choices do I have? Okay, and look around. Sometimes you have more choices than you think. Sometimes we just are boxed in because we can't see out, out of the box. So we get boxed in by that box, and we, we don't know that, well, there's another way I could do this. But research it. Think about it. Talk to other people who have the same issues. If you can't find a solution, then deal gracefully with what you have to deal with. Dealing gracefully means... You don't let it upset you. It's not, you know, it's, it's not something that makes you grit your teeth and lose sleep at night. You just accept it. It just is the way it is. You have to deal with it. Your children will have to deal with it. Your grandchildren will have to deal with it. Everybody has to deal with the situation they're in. It's not about fairness. It's not about what's right. You know, there are those people who just happen to be born in an area that is perhaps very violent, you know, where there are warlords in charge and that sort of thing, and they just have to deal with it. It's not a good situation. It's not a healthy situation. It's not good for their families or their wives or their children, and there's nothing they can do about that other than move, and that may or may not be possible for them to do. So life is like that. You have to accept it, deal with it, and go on. And figure, okay, it's not optimal. I live in a situation where my children will constantly be fed things that hurt them. I'll take them to school, and they'll be given cookies by their friends. They'll be given, uh, you know, preservatives and chemicals and sugar and, you know, other kinds of stuff by the school in their school lunch. Um, they'll go to other children's house. And in other children's houses, they'll see things you wouldn't want them to see. They'll eat things you wouldn't want them to eat. It's just like that. You're not going to be able to control all these things. So control what you can. Do your research. Don't, don't not control it because you're ignorant. Do your research. Do what you can. But then you just have to let it go and say, okay, well, that's the way it is here. In this century, in this time, in this day, it's like that. And we'll just go on, do the best we can. So that's the thing. I believe the problem you get when you get wound up with it is that you don't have control. You feel out of control. You see all these suboptimal, unhappy, dangerous things out there, and you can't control them. And you, as a, as a, a father with children and a wife, it, you feel it's your job to protect them, to take care of them, and make sure those dangers and those things don't get them. That's your job. But sometimes you're limited in just what you can do. And you have to accept that you do the best you can, and everything else just has to work out how it works out. And if that means that, you know, we all live 10 years less than we could have otherwise, there's nothing we can do about that, then that's just the way it will be. Maybe uh, next generation, it'll be different. You know, maybe your great-grandchildren will live in, a, in a, a more enlightened time 
when they won't be, uh, you know, your school won't be stuffing cupcakes, you know, uh, down their uh, throats for, you know, for school lunch. Maybe, you know, and uh, that's, you know, you can't, uh, you can't swim, but so far upstream. In other words, your children are going to get run into things that you wish they wouldn't and wish they didn't. But that has to just be accepted. It'll be like that. And uh, do your best to minimize those dangers and do your best to minimize those risks. But you got to accept risk. Life is risky. Go on with it. So I think I see your point. A lot of people are like that. They see what the government does, what the schools do, what just other people do. And it's so dysfunctional. It's so negative. You have to live in that world. That's part of your challenge. How can you live in that and stay positive? How can you live in that and optimize it as much as you can and be happy, be okay with that, not be miserable and upset and always you know, negative about it? You have to accept it with grace. So I think I know that's not a happy answer. It's not one like solves your problem, you know. Oh, but it's it's exactly. it's the only answer there. It's the only answer there is. Yeah. Thank you. No, really, I needed to hear from from you that song. Seriously. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Tom. Next, we have a question from Vanessa and some from her group in Vancouver. Okay. Hi, Tom. Oh. Hello, Vanessa. Hi. I have a question about uh, trauma. So okay. uh, I'm, I'm doing my best to lower my entropy and get rid of my fear. And for me, I want to trace back the fear to understand where it's coming from. And I feel like there may be some kind of deep-seated fear from possibly trauma from childhood. I had a pretty crazy childhood. Um, and when I go there, though, to trace it back, I don't want to dwell on it and have this pity party. I would like to just be able to say, okay, that happened. And, you know, I can move forward now. And just to understand that it's part of this experience packet that I'm having here, playing this avatar role. And just giving me that bigger picture, I'm expecting that to just kind of release me of this trauma but I'm still kind of struggling with it. And then I hear advice from all these people saying, well, try somatic healing, you know, try um, hypnotherapy, try all these different things. So I guess my question is, uh, what would you recommend is the best way to kind of let go of trauma? Okay. Well, just experiencing it, you know, you can go back to that time in your childhood where you think this event happened and you can you can experience it or you can say oh yeah that's what happened but just experiencing isn't enough you have to accept it and if it was something say involving your parents or your siblings or somebody else you have to just forgive them you have to let it go it has to be okay i see this this is the way it was it's all right you know everybody was who they were at that time doing what they were doing, you know, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, and that's it. And my job is to deal with it, and I accept that. Okay, now that will intellectually make you feel a lot better, but it won't necessarily get rid of your fear. 
you still are going to need to overcome that fear with courage. When you, when you feel yourself starting to react fearfully, then you need to stop it and say, well, don't want to go there. Don't want to feel that. That's not helpful. And, you know, go the other direction. Just keep working at it. It's, it's a matter of us of just keeping your intent focused on letting go of the fear. Not at the intellectual level, but at the being level where you feel that fear. You need when that fear comes over you and you start to feel your, you know, everything tightening up, just relax and let it go. You have to do that at the being level, not at the intellectual level. I think too often we try to fix things at the intellectual level and it doesn't ever seem to fix it. That because the problem is not an intellectual problem. It's a being level problem. And you have to fix it at that level. And that takes time. It's not an easy and quick thing to do. There's no magic prescription for that. Now, sometimes if people had trauma in childhood, they can go back. They can see how angry they were, how upset they were, how abused they were, or whatever it was that happened to them. And then they can just kind of forgive everybody and forgive themselves and go on. And now they feel a whole lot better. Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And the reason it doesn't work is because you're dealing with it intellectually not at the being level, not at the emotional level. That's the level in which the damage was done. That's the level in which the fear got started, and you have to deal with it at that level. You have to forgive it and let it go and accept it at that level, not at an intellectual level. Hmm. Okay, so it's kind of like this delicate balance then, because when the feelings come up, when these negative feelings come up, I don't want to just allow myself to feel that way. So then my intellect is saying, well, where is this coming from? And trying to understand it and then let it go. And I don't yeah. want I don't want to just repress it either, which I've done my whole life is when they come up. I don't want to feel that that's uncomfortable. Right. And I, you know, eat a chocolate bar or something. Um, so now it's just kind of this new dance that I'm learning how to do in terms of using the intellect and the emotions. Yeah. Yes, the, the, the intellect has to be a part of it. I mean, you can't not think. It's not like you could get a lobotomy and do better. You know, the, the intellect is part of your as part of your guidance. The intellect is part of what uh, focuses you. So the intellect's not a bad thing, but you don't want to just deal with it at the intellect. The intellect can say, oh, there it is. So you can point it out for you. Now, that's the intellect. But now you have to go deal with that at a feeling level, at a being level, at an emotional level. And if you just stuff it you know, if you just stuff it under the rug so you can't see it anymore, if you just repress it, then that's not helpful. That's an intellectual trick. The mind refuses to think about it anymore. You see, that's an intellectual trick, and that's not it. The mind can tell you, okay, that's that's that fear coming up. I can feel it. Here's the situation that triggers me, and I feel that coming up. I don't want to feel that way and work with it then at a feeling level, not at the intellectual level. So the intellectual level and the being level kind of have to work as partners in this process. And the neat thing is that once you get rid of that fear, those two partners kind of combine into just one thing. You know, it's not that there's really two things there anymore. It's just all one thing. You just exist intellectually as well at the being level. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of where you're going. But you can't get rid of the intellect because the intellect is what gives you guidance. It's what points out direction. It's the, you know, it's your, it's the thing that gets your attention. And then once it gets your attention, deal with the problem from a being level, not suppressing it, 
but feeling it, go with it, feel that anger, feel that fear, feel that whatever thing, and then let it go. Don't suppress it. Just let it go. Say it's not helpful. It's not necessary. And that takes courage because now you're going to have to go on. You see, instead of reacting to the fear, you're just going to have to go on without reacting to the fear. And that's generally scary. That's why it's hard to do. That's why it takes courage. Mm. So just keep working at it. It's not a fast process. And there's usually, you know, 20 times where you don't do it right before the one time that you get it right. But you only have to get it right one or two times and you'll be successful. So just keep working at it. Okay, cool. Thank you for the encouragement. Um, so next we have Wanma. He's been listening to your work for years now, and he has a question that he'd like to ask you. So. Okay, thanks. Hi, Tom. Nice to meet you. My name is Juanma. Um, Juanma? I've, hi. Um, I've been uh, watching your videos for a while, Vanessa said, um, and one of the most revealing and eye-opening uh, parts was the, um, the double slit experiment. So, but because I'm trying to be open-minded and skeptical at the same time, I'm asking myself some uh, questions to see if if, uh, if the theory behind this actually resists my, kind of my attacks, <laughs> my own attacks, right? So one of them was uh, um, I, uh, I discovered um, that I didn't understand how the connection between the uh, intent and affecting the probabilities actually works. So uh, I understood the, con the, the concept that you explained and when you explained uh, the um, uh, double slit experiment. And I understand that uh, when you explained about probabilities, but I don't see the connection yet. If you could maybe uh, elaborate on that a little bit, maybe I'll understand a bit better. Okay. Well, let me uh, do it in two ways because your question seems to be coming at it from a couple of ways. Uh, one way that that your intent interacts with probability is that in this reality, it's just a function of this reality that your intent modifies future probability. So you have an intent for things to happen. Then if that intent is coming from your being level, then those things are more likely to happen. Or if you have a fear at that being level, then that fear is more likely to take place. That thing that you're afraid of is more likely actually to take place because of your fear than it would otherwise. So in that way, your intent and probability uh, work together. And that's just an attribute of our, of our reality frame. It's part of our feedback that we tend, that we have a role in creating our own future. So if we don't like the future, it's partly because, you know, we have to realize it's, it's a future that we've helped make, we and everybody else. So that's one connection between your intent and, you know, between consciousness, say, and and probabilities of what happens. But now in the double slit, it's a little different. In the double slit, it's not. You know, we we have a we have a lot of people saying things that that are partially true but not wholly true. And that is that, you know, it requires a consciousness to uh, to look at the picture. You know, to look at what slit it comes through. And if a consciousness is aware of that, then we get diffraction. You know, we'll, we we will get a, a particle pattern and if we're not aware we get a diffraction pattern and we have that going on in double slit but the reason that works it's not that consciousness is the key information's the key 
but information is only information because of consciousness. So you see those things are, are together. The way the double slit works is that our reality being a virtual reality <clears throat> is created by data streams to individual units of consciousness. Our whole reality is created just by these data streams. So if you, you know, another way of looking at it is our reality is all generated in our consciousness. There is no, there is no real reality. It's a virtual reality. Okay. So you cannot have something happening in this virtual reality that isn't in a data stream to somebody's consciousness. So in that sense, a consciousness has to be involved or nothing happens here. You see, so if there isn't a consciousness to look at the results of detection data, then detection data is not in this reality. It's still just potential because until that detection data becomes part of somebody's data stream, it's not here. Reality is only created in the minds of the consciousness. So that's why consciousness is that's why the observer is necessary for the double slit experiment because there is no there is no experiment there is no data it doesn't exist until some consciousness gets that in their data stream you see now i keep repeating that but it's a hard concept to get to see so that's why consciousness is key there it's that uh, we define reality in our consciousness there's not this reality that exists out there on its own. That doesn't really exist. So that's why consciousness is a key thing in the double slit experiment. Okay. That's a, that's a, uh, you know, that's the connection. So they're little different ideas, but I'm not sure I've, I've really got the question that you had. Now the question was uh, maybe uh, let me uh, ask um, again from a different angle is uh, when you talk about, for example, remote healing or affecting a random number generator, um, there's a connection between intent and uh, the actual outcome, so future probability. Mm -hmm. So uh, my question would be then, uh, how is that connection actually working? If you want to uh, modify random numbers, then that's modifying future probability. The intent, when you intend for the average value, say, to be higher than it should normally be, then that's an intent that modifies future probability. Things Things don't exist here until the measurement's made, until somebody gets data in their data stream. It goes back to the same thing. So if you have a bunch of random numbers, there's a potential for those to be right on the money as far as the average goes, if it's a, you know between 0 and 1, right at 0.5. But there's also a potential for it to be a little higher or a little lower within the bounds of, of you know, the, the experiment, the kind of natural uncertainty in that. And you can, with your intention, move it to be one way or the other. With your intention, you can make it to be a little on the higher side or a little on the lower side. So you're just taking the uncertainty. There's uncertainty in the, in the result, uncertainty in the measurement. Your intent, then, can change how that uncertainty works out, whether that uncertainty collapses to a little on the high side or a little on the low side. So that's generally the way those things work. There's a certain amount of uncertainty. That uncertainty is adjustable because it could be anywhere in that bounds, you know, like an error bar. You have a, you have a result, and then you have error bars around that result. 
error bars mean that the result could be this much bigger or that much lower. Well, within those error bars, your intent can move that result fairly easily. Is that, is, am I yeah. still missing or is that getting closer? Yeah, it, it's actually the right, uh, the, the next question is then, how is it that, you, that we can actually modify it? I don't see the mechanism. How does the system actually modify it? Well, yeah, how, with my intent, uh, there's, there must be some kind of connection or mechanism or something that actually is affecting uh, those probabilities. Uh, that's the part that I'm missing. That, uh, why is it that, it, uh, that I'm able to actually modify in the first place? Well, your consciousness. You live in a consciousness system, and the system is set up to look at your intent and modify future probabilities. It's just the way the system's set up. There's nothing, you know, it's not like you're changing something physical. Like, well, if, if you know, those, those um, you know, all those numbers would have been exactly 0.5 or they would have been this, but then I changed them and made something happen. Those, those, that result wasn't known yet. It was just a potential result. So you didn't actually change anything. You just make something be that way. And the system is set up to do that. This is a system created for the evolution of consciousness. And part of that process is that your intent modifies the future probability. That's just set up as a, as a condition inside, the, inside this virtual reality, you see. And it's, it's done that way for two reasons. One, it gives us feedback on how we're doing. And two, it makes it makes it makes us a co-creator in what we get. So it's not just that there's somebody else creates stuff and we deal with it, but the stuff that we have to deal with is stuff of our own making in a large part. That's a much better schoolhouse that gives you that kind of feedback than one that just throws stuff at you and you have to deal with it. So it's part of us being part of the system, not mm -hmm. us being outside the system. Mm -hmm. So it's just an NA, it's just a natural part of the way the system's wired. It, it's a better learning lab because of it. Okay, that, that was actually the answer I was looking for. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Um, so next we have Layla. She has a question around entropy. Um, she is new to your work, but she's part of our book club and she's been coming to the meetings and she has a lot of questions. So here's one that she has. Okay. Hi, Tom. Nice to meet you. Um, I'm really into your work. I watched uh, maybe 100 of your YouTube videos, but I'm just 100 pages to the book, so I don't know how much I know. But um, before I got introduced to your work, I really never thought about the entropy, but now I'm obsessed about that. So mm -hmm. I'm really trying to understand entropy, and I have a lot of questions about that. And first question is, how does the change and entropy relate? Uh, to each other. It seems like the change would increase the entropy, right? And if you're looking, um, let's say, revolutions, they are all big change, and there is a huge entropy happening at that point. So change-entropy relationship is kind of my main question. So Okay, give me, an give me an example. Give me an example of something that confuses you. For example, if you take a revolution, let's say, I don't know, the French Revolution, right? That was a huge chaos. There were a lot of deaths, a lot of destruction. It seems like the world was falling apart, and it was a huge change. Was that change necessary mm -hmm. or not necessary in this world? I'm still having a hard time accepting the idea of virtual reality. 
But the uh, question is, was the revolution necessary in the reality? And did that change increase the entropy? Definitely the time end was happening, it seems like. And if you look at any change around you, I'm trying to decide, is the change something that increases or decreases the, the entropy? Okay. You have to look at entropy in terms of a system. Entropy is related to systems. So you look at the change of entropy within a system. So first we define the system, and then we can look at the change. Now, whether or not something is going to be a high entropy or a low entropy result, you have to wait for that result to work itself out. In other words, it's, it's a view of entropy in the long term. If you just look at entropy right now, like a, a snapshot, okay, we have the French Revolution, a lot of chaos, high entropy chaos, you see. But if that high entropy chaos creates something that is more stable than what was before, now we have a low entropy result. So you have to look at something within its whole context, within the system, all the effects that it's had. So we probably have to look at the French Revolution uh, and the next, you know, 100 years afterward, maybe even 200 years afterward, before we finally decide, was that event, you know, uh, in the long run, a high, you know, increasing entropy for us or decreasing entropy for us? If in the long run, it turns out it creates more stability. It uh, makes us move toward a more constructive, more cooperative situation, then it's a low entropy, even though it starts with a lot of destruction and, and uh, you know, high entropy chaos. So entropy has to be looked at in the long term, not just in the snapshot. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense because in the snapshot, things can be very high entropy, but turn out to be low entropy. You know, it's like, you're, it's like with your, uh, when you raise your children. When you raise your children, if you want to minimize the amount of tears and minimize the amount of, uh, of, uh, of noise and dysfunction, then you give them whatever they want. You appease them, you see. But in the long term, that's not good. In the short term, that makes everything easier. In the long term, that makes everything harder. So that then wouldn't be a low entropy process. The low entropy process would be to discipline those children so that in the long term, their lives are much more stable and productive. So it's. Thank you. You answered my second question. That was my second question <laughs> because I was just about to ask when you're raising the child, how do, you, how do you decide when to impose the change on a child or let them exercise their free will? And it's again the question. Like is that? But you answered the question before I asked. Thanks. That was great. Thank you. Yeah, I long term. Now, yeah. Yeah, I had to start thinking that way. Thanks a lot. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, I have to think in the long term, not just the short term. Thank you, Tom. We just had another question from Teo. Um, she she's a computer analyst and computer scientist and into physics. So hers is more centered around um, the larger consciousness system and different virtual realities. So she's just going to ask it right now. Okay. Hello. Hello. Uh, my question is uh, short and simple, <laughs> I think, for you. Good. I, I like those kind. <laughs> <laughs> How the larger consciousness uh, creates the the virtual realities 
how that happened. Uh, think think of it like a um, a com uh, you have a mainframe computer, and I'm going to make an analogy here with a mainframe computer. Let's say the mainframe computer is like our larger consciousness system. Then this mainframe computer can have all sorts of different simulations going on it in it at the same time. It can be computing, uh, you know, four or five different virtual reality games all at once. It just partitions off part of its memory and part of its processing, and it does this, and it can also be doing other things. You know, your computer can be doing uh, <clears throat> all security uh, scans in the background while you're writing a, a, a Word document, and at the same time, you know, you could be playing, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, some, some sort of game could be going on that you're spending some of your time. Computers can multiprocess. They can do lots of things at the same time. And that's the way this works. You have a larger consciousness system. Think of it like a big computer. And it can generate more than one simulation at a time. It just partitions off some part of its memory, some part of its processing. And uh, it runs this reality, and it can run another reality together. So it's just a big uh, multiprocessing uh, yeah, um, I, massive I uh, computer that. science job. Yeah, I understand that. Um, I think my question is most uh, uh, related to how um, that process is initiated. So uh, each reality evolves itself to what we have right now here, and another reality evolved to something different, and uh, mm -hmm. evolved what was the initial like trigger to create that reality? Yeah, the initial uh, thing that triggers creating a reality is need. The realities are created to serve some sort of need. So the larger consciousness system has, a, has an issue, has a problem, and it will create a virtual reality to help it solve that problem. So our virtual reality was started to evolve because the problem it had was its own evolution. You know, how can it make choices that help it evolve, help it uh, lower the entropy of the system. And it turns out that a virtual reality is very helpful because it can create this kind of interactive uh, choice making that we get with this tight rule set. Whereas if we didn't have this tight rule set in a virtual reality, it would be uh, very difficult to have that same array and depth of choices. So that's why that's why that uh, this virtual reality was done. You have a virtual reality that is the the uh, transition reality, where when people die, they transition to something else. That reality was there because there's a need for people to transition, and that transition uh, needs to be helped and smoothed, and people need okay. to be, you know, uh, uh, helped with the where they're going to go next. So that's a reality. So all of the, all the virtual realities are basically created because the system has a need to provide services, if you will, to the individuated units of consciousness. So they're all done on a need base. Now, depending on how you need it, ours, because we, we wanted this uh, very high-definition virtual reality to make choices in, ours needed to be evolved from a set of initial conditions and a rule set, and then just let it evolve how, however it evolved. And, you know, it evolved to be our universe. But let's say the reality, that's the transition reality, 
that didn't have that didn't work that way. Transition reality didn't have to evolve from a rule set, whatever. It was just put together, um, you know, to to function as it functions. It's not the environment there is not important. It's the interaction just with people. So as long as you had good communications and ways that you could interact, that's the only thing you needed in that virtual reality. You didn't need bushes and shrubs and animals and plants and sky and rain and all that stuff wasn't necessary, you see. So virtual realities are just, they're not all evolved like ours. Just however, uh, however they need to be, it's how they're constructed. Thank you very much. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, can we create information or the information is given? As, uh, as we a, create, yeah, we can create information. Yes. Information comes from basically three different sources. It comes from the larger consciousness system. It can send us information, put in our data stream which is what we get from our uh, virtual reality server. You know, we get information. Yeah. It can come from other individuated units of consciousness. Other people can send you information. You can send them information. So there's chat, if you will, between conscious units. And the third thing is that you can create information. And we, cre we call that imagination. When you use your imagination, you're creating information. But you can, you know, you get all three of those and they all come all wadded together. You get them all at once. There's no way of knowing which is which. So you'll get information that you've created, information that somebody's sending you, and information from the larger consciousness system or the server. And there's no way of telling where any of it comes from. It's just all information. So that's one of the reasons we have to be very skeptical of all the information we get because we really never know what the source is. That's part of the nature of this game is that you only get information, you never get the source of the information. See, you only get information, not the source. You don't have any sense of the source ever. You only get the data stream and then you have to interpret it and part of your interpretation comes out of your own mind, is, is stuff you create. Because you're limited by your experience. You're limited by your knowledge, by your fear, by your caring. You know, whoever you are, that's a, that's a finite set of information. You don't know everything. You haven't felt and experienced everything. So there's things you don't know. So you tend to interpret what you get in information in terms of what your experience has been. So that's you adding information to what you get. Otherwise, you can't. Think about it. You can't interpret. You can't put it into language if you don't put it into terms that are inside your own experience. So it's all mixed up together. But yes, we do create information. We can create information and send it to others. Okay. So the amount of information uh, in general is growing, right? Because everybody's creating information. Yeah, everybody's creating information. And if that information has a low entropy impact, so over time, that information creates a better, more loving, more caring existence, a higher quality of consciousness, then that information is pushing us toward lower entropy. If that information is making us more fearful, if it's making us uh, more frightened, if it's making us more egotistical, then 
that information is pushing us toward higher entropy. So just more information isn't necessarily a good thing. It's that quality of that information that's important. Okay. Okay. And then thank you very much. You're welcome. So we don't want to monopolize uh, anything, so we'll pass the floor back to anyone else who has questions. <clears throat> Well, thank you, Vanessa. You can have the floor back at any time. But I did have a note uh, coming in that uh, from Jen W. Um, she has a simple and practical question, Tom. Uh, about 20 hours ago, I smoked my last cigarette. Do you have any advice on how to stay strong? And uh, thank you so much. Yes, I can give you some advice on that. If you really want to quit, you are, you know, you, it's, it's not that you're doing it because you think you should, but because you really want to, then the withdrawals will not be much bother. That's the difference. If you are quitting from an intellectual viewpoint, oh, your friends don't like it, your, you know, your significant other doesn't like it, your children don't like it, you know it isn't healthy, you think you should, and you want to, and that's all intellectual, then your withdrawal symptoms will be terrible. You'll have to struggle through every hour of every day. But if you're quitting, because at a deeper level, you just want to quit, period. You're done with it. Not because you think you should, but because you really want to. You're committed at a being level. Then your withdrawals will be very slight. You'll hardly notice them. And you uh, won't have any trouble at all walking away from it. Cold turkey, it won't be a big deal. Most people quit because they think they should. That's an intellectual decision, and they struggle and struggle, and about, what, two-thirds of them don't make it, at least not on the first try. So it's a matter of how committed you are to quitting. If that commitment is deep and true, then you won't have any problems at all. If it's not, then you'll have lots of problems. And so my advice is to make sure that commitment to quitting is really solid and at a deep level, and that you're 100% behind that's what you want to do, not that's what you think you should do. Okay, thank you. We have a question here from Channel 79 on Reality Systems, and I think there are some in the group who may find some of this interesting as well. There are a few questions here, so I'll see if I can get to, to most of them. Um, First one, about combinations. The maximum amount of combinations for 8 bits are 256, and for 32 bits, they're about 4 billion. So it doesn't take a lot of bits to create a lot of unique possibilities. But the LCS has been around for a very long time. Do you know if the LCS has ever run into a, the situation of a virtual reality actualizing all of its possible combinations? Well, that's, uh, you know, virtual realities like ours just evolve. And there's many ways that it could evolve. It just does evolve one way because of the choices that are made by the critters that are here having free will. So because of the choices that are made, because of the attitudes that, that uh, individuals have, that tends to help change, you know, evolution. Many animals on our planet are now extinct not because they failed to survive in their in their niches that their their uh, um, 
you know, their, their avatars, their bodies were unable to survive. It's because something from the outside destroyed them. You know, it could be human hunters or it could have been a volcano eruption or who knows what. But a lot of the extinctions haven't been a failure of that avatar to be able to make it within its environment in, you know, its normal environment. It's just that an environment had other things with free will like humans in it that decided that, you know, it would club all the dodos because they were easy, easy targets, you know, and uh, we didn't have uh, ways to get away from them. So I would say that, no, most environments do not um, experience all their possibilities. There's other possibilities, other choices that could have been made. The only way that a system would go through all of its possibilities was if there was no free will consciousness involved in it and the computer was just trying to run through everything that it could, you know, could run through. It was just doing, filling out all the possibilities. And I don't think it would do that except with something very, very simple, because as you point out, if it's complex at all, the number of possibilities gets to be, you know, way more than anybody would ever want to compute just for the heck of it. So I suspect no, most virtual realities. Now some virtual realities are very simple. You know, they don't have a lot of other ways to be like the transition virtual reality. Let's take that one. That's just got a very straightforward, limited function to help people make that transition between having one avatar and getting another avatar. That transition between avatars is a simple, you know, it's a simple problem in general. It doesn't require a lot of, of uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, uh, what background. It doesn't require a, a lot of, of uh, handholding. It's well, it does require handholding. It doesn't require a lot of stuff to be there. You see, so that's very limited. So maybe there could be, you know, a hundred different ways you could do that, but there probably wouldn't be a million different ways you could do that function. It just, you know, there just wouldn't be that much difference. It's a very simple function. So every possibility, no, probably never, but, you know, there's a lot fewer functional possibilities. In other words, a possibility that's unique that actually means something than there are possibilities. Most of the every possibilities are, are very redundant. They don't have something really important to offer from a functional point of view. So I think the system would only expand through those functional, unique properties that were valuable and let everything else go. Okay, there's another part to re uh, Channel 79, uh, Channel 79's questions on reality systems. Um, I'm interested in your progress regarding something you wrote in MBT. And he quotes, that gives me something to work on in my spare time. I've been exploring NPMR, NPMRN, other system OS and PMR for 30 years plus. There is much that I have not yet seen and experienced. Perhaps the NPMRN represents the outermost layer of our practical operational reality onion, leaving NPMR as a simple NPMRN container or media, and only ALM beyond that. That's the absolute unbounded manifold. One must eventually run into the outer edges of the greater consciousness ecosystem, the boundary of ALM reality itself. This is not an attempt to make you spill juicy details, but have you done exploration in this area since writing MBT, and has the exploration been successful? 
Well, <laughs> all right, I won't spill any juicy details. And the answer is yes and yes. <laughs> yes, there's, there's, there is more exploration, uh, you know, that I've done uh, trying to see where boundaries are. But you see, there's no way to know that you're at the final boundary. You come to a boundary and you say, all right, this is as much as I've experienced. Is there anything more beyond that? Well, you haven't experienced anything more beyond that, so you really don't know. You see, it's one of those things you don't know what you don't know. So I would still say that what I what I wrote there is, would still be true. That's still the way I feel. But even though I've learned more in since then, I still feel that same way because no matter how far you push a boundary back, you never know what may be beyond that. So you are always limited by the time and energy you have to experience. You don't know what's beyond your experience. So no, that hasn't changed any. It's still my, it still would be the way I feel about it. But yes, as I've written the books, you know, even in the process of writing those books, I expanded my notion of what was going on and how it worked. And I've been expanding my notion of, of you know, how this reality works and what its limits are and its boundaries you know, all along. And yes, it's changed some, nothing dramatic and nothing really all that juicy. It just changes. You add understandings, uh, you know, the whole part about, uh, um, MBT also being a good paradigm for better science, for better physics that didn't come to me until a couple of years after I published the books. So it's constantly growing. Everybody hopefully is constantly growing you know, expanding, understanding things better as they go on. And I'm no exception to that. Um, hopefully that'll just continue forever. I would uh, not like to get to the end where there's nothing, nothing else to explore. I think uh, that would be pretty boring, but uh, you know, typically you just move the edges back. You get a little more, a, a bigger, a, a bigger picture and the picture keeps growing and your ability to work within the picture keeps growing but it's not it's not anything particularly um you know dazzling it's just growth it's just expansion so but i don't tell details because they're not really significant to anybody's growth but mine okay, you know, my story's my story <laughs> yes i'm sorry go ahead um no, that's all right there's one one more aspect to this question it's a rather long one um you mentioned in your book also that you stay away from, since we're delving deep into uh, alternate realities, and uh, I stay away from that reality as much as possible. This is a referring to the dreadfully rough, mean-spirited, and unpredictable reality. Um, mm-hmm. He's asking two things. You mentioned you can be damaged there. He's asking how can you be damaged in the non-physical if you're rather careful. And has that reality seen any improvement since you last wrote the book? Well, I've been back there since I wrote the book because, uh, like I say, that's not one I enjoy going to. So I don't know whether that's changed or not. I've not done that. Basically, I ended up in that reality just because the larger consciousness system was showing me around, if you will, showing me, uh, you know, what was out there, how things were, how it could be different, other virtual realities. So um, just as uh, uh, Christian was shown uh, a, a whole nother viewpoint of looking at, at uh, uh, human beings, 
you know, just so he would know that because he was ready for that experience, ready to deal with that. Well, that's what happened to me. The conscious system showed me a lot of places just to let me see the nature of this reality and get a sense for, you know, what it was like. If you don't, if it's not your experience, it's not your truth. So the system gave me a lot of experiences in a lot of different places. And I went to that very uh, dysfunctional reality probably three or four or five times. And I never did notice any improvement in it over that time. But that was a short time. You know, sometimes improvement takes a long time. Sometimes it takes, you know, millennia. And I didn't hang out there for millennia. I just visited for, you know, a short time, maybe for a few days at a time. And, uh, and that's all. So I expect it's still there, whether it's uh, turned around any and gotten any better. I don't know. But I do know that there were entities there who were grown up beyond the average level. The average level of conscious quality was very low. But there were some who had very good consciousness quality. And they were indeed working on improving things. So, yes, there was energy there that was engaged in improving, turning things around, uh, um, making things better. And I suspect eventually, given enough time, I don't know how time that would be, that it would get better because typically that works that way. Even if it, even if the negative gets to a point where it's, uh, you know, it's like a, um, you, know, you can say it goes viral. You know, it's one way of saying it. Uh, in in nuclear physics, we talk about getting a a uh, uh, a reaction gets large enough to be self-sustaining. Well, you can get negativity that gets to be so dominant that it starts to drive itself and it makes everything else more negative around it, which then it gets even more negative. And you can have this downward spiral of, um, kind of, of it driving itself, but that'll bottom out someplace. And then eventually it starts to turn around and go back the other way because negativity is self-destructive. So I would say, yes, it will go back the other way, but whether it's done that or not, I don't know. But how and why did I end up there? Basically, I was just being shown around. I was given the I was being given the tour over probably a couple of decades. I was taken and shown a lot of things, just like Christian was shown what people look like when you see them in a multidimensional sense. When you also are in a multidimensional uh, view, and uh, it's just it makes your reality bigger when you have bigger, you know, when you have a larger set of experiences. It's like uh, in the old days, people who traveled weren't so provincial. They had bigger viewpoints because they traveled. They'd been to a dozen countries or maybe 20 or 30 different countries, and they weren't so provincial anymore. They had bigger pictures of the world and of people. Well, it's the same way. You travel in the larger conscious system, and you just get a bigger picture because you see more things. It works the same way.